0: Welcome to Human Factors Cast, your weekly podcast for all things Human Factors, Psychology, and Design. Hey everyone, it is episode 175. Today is July 30th, 2020, and this is Human Factors Cast. Uh, I'm your host, Nick Rome. I'm joined by Mr. Blake Arnstorff. Hey Nick, what's going on, man? It's, It's going on, man. I like the I like the cowboy Bebop shirt you're rocking. Today. I know,
1: I'm loving it today. Just uh, real calm and relaxed.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a calm and relaxed environment today. Uh, we're we're not taking news stories. I think uh, it's been a little slow and not really a whole lot of human factors y um, application. We're we always try to bring the human factors application of things and we were kind of struggling with some of the news stories. So it's okay. We're gonna we're gonna take a little break. A little summer break, if you will. We're gonna get into. We're gonna dig out the mailbag. We got some exciting things. We got uh, something from Slack. We got a couple things from Reddit. We. It's just gonna be a mailbag episode. Uh, But that's okay. Um, there'll be there'll be plenty of fun stuff to talk about. Um, but first how fun would it
1: be if we could do a live one of these? Like I would love to just take actual questions from people on like YouTube or through Slack or whatever. Yeah, I would love to do a live
0: live episode of one of these mailbags. Uh, if, if that's something that interests you, let us know. We'd be happy to do that. Um, hey, we got some programming notes here. First, I mentioned that last week we do have a new merchandise store. Um, and uh, for, for uh, everyone, go check that out. Link's in the sh- description below. Uh, we also have a new $10 reward for our patrons at that level. Um, we will be reaching out to you uh, for anyone who's currently at that level. Um, and any new ones that sign up will get a free tote bag. Uh, so... Check that out. It's from our merch store, so you know it's good.
1: And they look pretty sick. I have to they say, do. it was fun like going through those last week with you, and you showed me like how to put them together. It's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, so we got a new merch store, new ten dollar reward for patrons. Uh, speaking of Patreon, we do have our Human Factors Minute. You know, we're always bumping that. Uh, we got it's 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 a good time over there on the Human Factors Minute. I think we just talked about um, surveys and interviews. I think this week, so so it's a good stuff over there. Um, anyway. Uh, I, I wanna talk about something else that is um kind of breaking breaking news, I guess, if you will. It's it's still something in progress. So I don't wanna like get everybody's hopes up. But uh the HFES elections um are happening now currently, so if you have a preference, I guess you can go vote. But if you don't have a preference, I would highly suggest, or at least for president-elect, I would highly suggest waiting because we are in the process of trying to obtain interviews with the candidates for the president-elect position. Um, and so this is exciting. This is something that Blake and I are trying to organize and, um, you know, we're trying to get them on the show and... and uh, you know, we're we're not going light on them. We're not asking any softballs. We're we're going pretty hard on the questions.
1: Yeah, I mean, hard in the paint for the questions for sure. And I don't know. I thought this was going to be a really interesting take on how HFES does things because I was telling Nick before the podcast started like I don't think I've ever voted for an HFES president elect. Um, and so I did knowing like seeing that this was going on LinkedIn and being able to reach out to people we know in the HFES realm to kind of connect us with people to try and get this going. I just thought it would be a really interesting and fun idea or way to expose you know what it's like to try to run for a presidency in HFES and then the things that you have to think about and then plans that people are making too.
0: Yeah, and especially for a lot of the, the members who listen to the show, Um, if you're looking for like, who's going to represent you in, in, as, as president elect in the society and, and kind of, you know, if, if you've, uh, like, I won't be shy about it. I've been a member, but like, I don't know what kind of value it adds for me to be a member except for going into, uh, you know, network and stuff. And it's like, we're, we're asking about that stuff, you know, membership's declining. Diversity is a hot topic. We're going to talk about that. And, um, you know, what does it look like in a post-COVID-19 world? So we're asking them some tough questions. And I'd like to invite all of our listeners, if you have any specific questions you'd like us to ask the candidates, um, write into us on Slack or shoot us an email. Uh, we will, like, bring those up at the end of the interview and, and you know, see what they say. Uh, you know, I, I we could go over the questions that we're going to ask them, but uh, I want to leave some element of mystery. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. I think we're we're... We're planning, obviously, to release these before the voting period closes, which is on the 25th of August, so uh, still about a month away. Um, but be on the lookout for those. I think we should have them uh, earlier in August. I know some of them have to go through some review processes with PR departments to make sure that everything is okay. We do want to release those simultaneously, so that way there's a reduction in bias. Um, you oh, know, that's from- a
1: good, good point, Nick. Nice one.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be hard because we know one of the candidates and we don't know the other one, but we're still going to we're still going to go hard on both of them. So, uh, you know, if you have any other additional questions you'd like us to ask them, please let us know. We will we will be happy to ask the questions that, uh, you know, the, the everyone wants to know.
1: Absolutely. And something Nick, I don't know if you know this off the top of your head. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, but I think oh, it's, it's something I don't even know how to do off the top of my head either but like we know the elections going on right now you can go and vote but do we know how to go and do that or directions we can give people to go find out how to vote we do and we'll put
0: those on
1: the description for each of the candidates interviews uh i
0: right now i think it's weird because they just provide it to you with a link right there's no like i looked on the hfes website and um i will give my full thoughts and opinions on the way HFES handles elections uh, after the election is over? Let's just put it that way. Got it. We'll do a post election
1: breakdown. Post election <laughs> breakdown. We'll, do, we'll be the pundits. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> human factors pundits (laughs) got it so like like you're saying we'll at least include the way that you can go and vote once those episodes drop on the 10th so absolutely um, you'll be able to directly go and vote from there no kind of crazy looking for stuff on the internet and can't find it
0: exactly Uh, if you're a member you should be able to vote i think there is a a link that was sent to your email Um, I didn't get it on mine, but you can always email info at HFES if you want to find out how to vote. Um, So, yeah, look out for that in your email. You can vote there. If you haven't voted already, listen to our episodes. Make a decision then. Uh, If you have voted already, I don't know, maybe you can write in and change it. I don't know. Uh, Okay, with that, uh, Blake, what's been going on in your world, man?
1: Oh, man, it's been an interesting couple of how long has it been since I talked to you, a week? It's only been a week, man. It, does, it doesn't always feel like it's been you know, an eons Years. or amount of time. I feel like it has been every time that we do this. Uh, so it's only been a week. Uh, not a whole lot of craziness that I'm like up to that's really super human factory-related. Uh, one thing that I... It's kind of funny. We were talking about a member of the podcast before this. Um, and back when Nick and I... Nick invited me to come do the first podcast a long time ago... Um, we had talked about you know playing Magic the Gathering together as a group, and for whatever reason, I had a bee in my bonnet about that today, uh, and discovered that there's actually an online version of Magic where you don't have to like have a bunch of cards or anything like that. That's kind of akin to the, the playing experience of Hearthstone. Um, so that's been a been a fun way to kind of you know kick off the evenings or wind down from work. Uh, but other than that, man, I've just been kind of trying to enjoy myself and not work too much. Um, I don't know about you. That, I keep meaning to ask you this both offline and on the podcast. But it, since COVID's happened and we're all working at home, if we weren't working remotely previously, I feel like I have just started doing this working 24 7 thing that is, it's kind of taking away a lot of my free time because I just, Ooh. I find like no no reason to stop myself from, oh, just doing this little thing or tweaking this or doing that. Right. Um, but anyway, so that's, that's kind of what's going on in good old Block A's world. Block um, I want
0: to I follow up on a couple points you made there. Uh, one, Magic the Gathering. I know that's a very complex, like, some of the rules are very complex. I'm curious, how does the, like, how, do, how does the virtual, like, there's so many things that I don't think I could do. When it comes to that type of rule set, but I guess, you know, software is so mature now that you could totally do it. Um, how, does, how does that type
1: of uh, system translate into a digital? So that is a great question. And I haven't played it enough to know, like, what happens with the more complex mechanics, because there are a lot of those in Magic. Um, and it can be it can be really hard and overwhelming, and even start you know fights between your friends about like how a mechanic is supposed to play out. Right. But I will say that they did a really good job in the upfront tutorial content, going through even some of the more complex things, or outlining the f- the, f- the rules, if you will, and what happens when you have like summoning sickness, that kind of stuff. So I'm thinking that it is built in enough to if you try and do something that's illegal, like stack a spell or do something that you just can't do it will stop you um but i don't know i haven't really gone far enough to know how complex you can get now supposedly i think a lot of the cards are the same and they even release digital versions of like the new decks they're dropping Mm -hmm. so you should be able to do a lot of this kind of you know complex um you know mix matching of different characters or different elements throughout the game
0: yeah, it's something that like I I know I used uh, like a poison deck uh, way long back, you know, and and uh I just I can't imagine some of those systems being easy to program, and so, you know, it it always kind of astounds me when there's like these complex mechanics that interact with each other uh, in a, in a card game, and then to put that digitally, like it's I I hear nothing but good things about it, so I'm assuming it's correct. I just wondered how it handled it. Uh, the up- yeah,
1: it'll be interesting because they definitely have, like, a swamp discard deck, which is one of those more complex decks that's built around, like, the fact that you're you're just getting stuff out of your hand and there's all sorts of weird mechanics that come along with it. So once I kind of mess with that one, I'll actually know just how insane it gets. Right.
0: The other point I want to make is that working from home uh, is easy if you just set an alarm for the time that you want to stop working. <laughs> 3 p.m. comes around, I'm done. Although this week has been a little more challenging um 3:30 but still like you know it's it's easy with a with a you know 10 month old in the other room that I can go hang out with so um i don't know but just make a timer man just just uh try to stick to just those boundaries off. although if you're bored it's like why like I, I guess if you find joy from your work which i mean i guess some people do <laughs> um like right if you find joy from it then I guess that's fine. It's it's this weird, it's this weird uh, instance where companies can take advantage of their employees uh, if they're salaried and don't like have to log hours or anything because they could just work. And there's this whole conversation about taking pride in your work, and um, you know, I don't want to say like it's like labor abuse almost to to have somebody work more than what they said but then it's also like this complex relationship between the employee and their work too because it's like oh I just want to put the best thing out and like this is something I enjoy so it's not like you're paying me to do something I enjoy but should I get paid for the time that I am working it's this weird thing and so like I I don't know I don't care to comment on it right now because it's so complex but I do know that is is a consideration as well you know
1: For sure. And I mean, I think that is it is something you just have to put limits on for sure, Uh, because there's plenty of other things that I want to do. And I feel like I definitely give myself the excuse of like, oh, I really should be working or whatever. And I don't know. You worked with me. I definitely put in at least the eight hours a day. Most times it's like in the 10 range. Yeah. So it's it's just one of those things where I have to be better and more disciplined about how much I'm going to do. Um, and then be be okay with, like, leaving things where they are, switching to something else, coming back to it tomorrow. Yeah. Also sounds like a problem of overwork, but that's another conversation. Um, <laughs> That is another conversation <laughs> for sure. But you know me. I like to do, like, too much stuff yeah. on top of it all. Yeah. Uh, so that's just how I run. But, Nick, I have to, unless you've got another point about no. that, I have to know what the next bullet is in your segment. What does this look like to you? Is that that looks like oh what is that? It's like a clamp of some kind, um, but it's it's for something very specific. I can't remember what I think it is. So,
0: um, as listeners of the show know, I have been getting very into hobbies, and one of those is actually um, creating like Star Wars inspired props. I don't think I showed this one to you yet, Blake. It's done. Um, oh it's done. Yeah, well, yeah, as done as it's going to wow. be for now. The the actual droid terminal doesn't rotate. Anyway, I've been doing hobbies and and one of the things that goes along with bringing these Star Wars E types things to life is electronics. Um and it's a very simple way to uh, bring things that you make to life. If if you know, it's if there's lights on, it looks like it's a functioning thing. Um and so I, I'm trying to put together a like soldering station and a um, uh, basically a, a workstation for you know doing electronics work. And I've been getting a lot more into it. Um, and to do that, you need tools. And uh, at the recommendation of Adam Savage, um, I actually <laughs> I, I purchased this, which is an automatic wire cutter. Um, and this thing is great because
1: that's what it reminds me of. It looks like an Ethernet wire. Cutter. There you
0: go. Um, so this thing is great. So it actually it's a wire cutter, but it's also a wire stripper as well. And the um, the automatic piece of it uh, is is really nice. So you can basically uh, up to the width of this gap, uh, you can put any wire in there. It will automatically detect what the width is, and it will strip it without having to adjust any settings on it. Um, That's beautiful. Which, yeah, it is it is beautiful. And you can adjust how long that strip is by adjusting this little red tab here. Um, I'll put a link to this down in the description below. Um, but this thing has been amazing. So what it does is uh, – let me see if I can find a wire to show you, Blake, at least. Um, so what it does is – and I'll try to describe this for everyone on, on uh, listening. So what it does is there's two pairs of, like – of closers i guess in the front if you can imagine and the first set of closers on the outside detects how big the wire is now the closers on the inside have little cutters that um will stop just after the first pair on the outside stop which will dig into the wire but not into like it'll dig into the the sheathing but not into the wire and so that way when you press hard enough it actually pulls the um the stripping off and again that first level detects how thick the wire is so you can do all this automatically and then there's a wire cutter on it too but you don't like the biggest thing is that you don't have to adjust this Per gauge, um, like I can throw a bigger, I could throw an Ethernet cable in here, and in fact, I did this with like a USB cable last night that had several uh, smaller wires in it, um, and it detected it just fine, and it cut it just fine, um, and it's it's been a tremendous time saver uh, compared to some of the other more traditional tools. Um, so, if anyone's like getting into electronics during the break and is looking for uh, a great wire cutter, I just thought. This is how human factors is supposed to work. This is a, a consumer product uh, that has the form factor that I'm looking for. It's it's one thing. It's very streamlined, and it actually just does the thing I'm looking for it to do with simple mechanical um, solutions. And it do, you know it doesn't need other things. It just does the thing that you're looking for, right? So like if you if you were to put something in there, like this is a glue stick, but uh, you know, if it's something, if it's something wider, you can see how it works, right? The, the strippers on the inside, they stop just, just after the width of that glue stick. Um, yeah. and it would take off the sheathing. So I don't know, this has been uh, a great time saver. Like I said, I will put the link down below, um, for anyone who's like getting into electronics or,
1: uh, wants to play around with something like this. It's pretty great. Well, trip back into the past. I would have killed to have that in high school because when I when you would get detention, you was always with this electronics professor, and he would make you strip the wires for Ethernet cords for the school. And if you did it wrong, if you cut it wrong, you had to come back tomorrow. And I can't tell you how many days I had that in, in a row trying to like use these old janky wire cutters to you know unsheath Ethernet.
0: So with Ethernet, there's eight cables within inside right yes so yeah that's that's interesting because if you were to try to do this on ethernet cable what it would it might do is strip the wires on the inside too so you got to be careful right like maybe wrap a piece of tape around the end of the ethernet cable so that way it stops just shy and it doesn't strip the inside wires but then you have the outside wire at the maximum length and then maybe set it to half length and then do the inside wires with that so yeah this would have saved you a bunch of time it would have. I wouldn't have had as much attention. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, like I said, this is a mailbag episode, so why don't we get into that part of the show we like to call... It came
2: from... It
0: came from... It came from, well, everything today, I guess. It's like Reddit and Slack, and, you know, it's there's a couple different places where it came from. So um, I'm going to start with Slack, because I like to reward the people who engage with our community. Uh, and so... I'm going to read this one here. Um, This is where we search all over everywhere to bring you topics the community is talking about. And so I'm I'm rewarding our community by giving back to this one. Uh, This one was posted by Noah in our Slack. He says, hey, everyone, I'm in a very interesting position and was wondering if the kind peeps in here would have some advice. We do. Uh, I have finished my master's in human factors about a year ago and have been struggling to get a job. I'm mainly into UX research and for medical tech. Uh, I have now, however, through a turn of events, been in talks with a real estate co-op and trying to figure out what functions I could have within their company. The question is, beyond creating surveys and doing general research with prospective tenants, what else could I offer them with my background in psychology and human factors? Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. Well, Noah, I'm glad you asked that because Blake and I are here to help answer that question. Um, and hopefully, if if somebody who's listening has an answer to uh, that doesn't go along with what Blake and I are saying, maybe they can write in on Slack as well. Uh, we It's a it's an inclusive community. Uh, there's no... Um, you know, we're trying to make it a comfortable space to ask questions. No question is stupid. We're not elite here. You know, uh, I know some... Absolutely not. Yeah, uh, you can ask questions. No question is stupid. Uh, so, Blake, what, what do you think Noah can do to kind of help talk with this company, this real estate co-op, to uh, help basically... Um, offer them additional skills with
1: his uh background in psychology and human factors here got it let me throw two things out for noah in case he's listening one uh thanks a lot for throwing this in our slack we love kind of engaging with the community but two if you hear this episode and can provide extra information about some of the stuff we say or you have like follow-up questions please ask them we're happy to either just answer in slack bring it back on the show do both whatever it may be so okay you're looking for things that you might be able to do with prospective tenants, outside of just kind of your basic everyday create a survey. I'm assuming you've probably got on your plate to like do research, user research with prospective tenants. When you say that, you mean maybe do customer interviews, or you know interact with them and like doing contextual inquiry type stuff. Uh, but one thing that I would say as a human factors professional here is it's great that you understand your user base you kind of know who's who's experiencing some of the on the ground problems but if you're looking to work for a real estate co-op like this i think a big thing you might want to do is go ahead sit down and think about some questions you want to have to ask key stakeholders in the company. Because I think what you can do as a human factors person or a psychologist in general is your your first line of defense is to sit down with the people you're working for and try to understand from their perspective, you know, what's the goals of the company that they own? In this case, it's a real estate co-op. But what are their goals and what do they see as the challenges they're currently facing right now? Because that allows you, in a, from my perspective anyway, a lot more... Um, Gives you a lot more insight into what's going on, and then you can try and tailor methods or come up with ideas for how to put your research knowledge in play, um, and that could be all sorts of stuff, right? You could also understand understanding their kind of like their flagship products, if you will, will help you tremendously here too. So of course they have this kind of like interaction with their, you know, perspective or customers or tenants. Um, That they do like person to person, but what else do they have that's outward facing, away from you know just person to person interaction that draws people in? Because I'm assuming part of what this company wants to do is get more people coming to the office, trying to look at apartments or anything like that. So I I personally think a great place to start, um, and I know it's not like a method you learned in class specifically, but a great place to start is just stakeholder interviews to understand the problem space you're working in. Um, Now, Nick, I know you've got some some baller stuff to give Noah as well. Yeah, so I think uh, in addition to that, right, I think there's
0: another side of this that maybe wasn't mentioned in this comment, but, um, you know, it, it can be often overlooked is that sometimes a human factors practitioner's role is not just about the people that are engaging with the product, but it can also be used to help improve the space in which... You know the the people work right. So if uh, again, this all kind of goes back to what Blake said and about you know the company's goals. But you can offer things like process improvement for the uh, real estate co-op. Um, and what that could look like is well, maybe you know the the process by which they are engaging with their customers doesn't really benefit their customers as much as it could, or maybe it doesn't benefit the employees as much as they could. Um, maybe there's a couple ways that. They can improve their process and you as a human factors practitioner can offer uh, some suggestions on how to do that through research and data and, um, you know, interviews with not only the customers, but also with the employees of the co-op. So that's one thing you can do is look at process improvement. Um, You can also take a look at, um, you know, if you're talking about research methods, you can also take a look at data on successful closes uh, and, and. You know, from uh, the perspective of the employee, what did the employee do that helped uh, close it? Right. I mean, you know, there's obviously going to be a million different factors that you can look at, but what are some of the common threads that would uh, lead to a successful close on a on a apartment or a new home or something like that? Uh, so there's a couple different avenues that you can take. I think you know maybe shifting your focus from away from the uh, the people that they're interacting with, or not away from, but um, maybe taking one eye and looking the other direction and saying, "Well, what can I do?" You know, for not only the the customers, the people who are looking for homes, but also the people who are selling the homes. Um, I think that that could be a great way to kind of look at that problem space, and um, especially long term, if you if you can prove your return on investment uh and if you always come up with new ways to improve the process um through continuous improvement then i think you know there there's a
1: lot of value there for you absolutely and that that's kind of an interesting notion that you put forward there at the end nick of like cuz to me what that sounded like is basically understanding from you know the employee's perspective what is successful and what doesn't work and maybe even being able to improve their onboarding process for new people that are coming in because you, you kind of have talked to the experts and you understand maybe in a way that experts can communicate. Cause we know that's typically an issue of like what, what the strategies they're using are and that work. And you may even understand that from like the people that already work there, they may have uh, personas, if you will, of different types of customers they get. Right, so they've already got like a strategy they use depending on the person, the personality that they feel like they're interacting with. Right. Um, so again, it could you could have a lot of value on that employee side of things in addition to the tenant tenant side of things. Could also look at training
0: too. Um, every company has training, uh, and that is something that as a human factors you know, practitioner, you you can kind of excel in. You can provide a lot of really. Uh, competent suggestions for improving training um, based on research and based on scientific study. And, um, you know, I think that's another opportunity for uh, improving uh, the co-op. But again, it all kind of goes back to what Blake said at the beginning, understanding what the goal of the company is um, and helping to define your role within those goals, I think, is, is, is ultimately what you need to do.
1: It's a great place to start. Noah, let us know what else we can do, if that answers your question or if you have more subsequent questions from there.
0: Yeah, thanks for writing in, Noah. Uh, all right, so we are going to get to this next one here. Uh, this one was posted by... Uh, you ready for this one, Blake? Do it. Zero, zero, 001110110111100, one, 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 zero, 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 which translates to semicolon X in binary. Um so there's that i did a little i did a little research on that one uh so it's <laughs> also from this one's from the ux subreddit here um and and again when we look out to these ux ones we always try to apply them to human factors as well because we understand there's uh, you know not a whole lot of people post on the human factor subreddit but a lot of these questions are very relevant to what we do um now blake you you mentioned that this one was one that you get quite often in your classes and i i want to read this and then i'll throw it over to you but how much of the UX or human factors process do you actually get to do? Uh, again, I'm going to modify this for human factors. So there's a human factors process that gets taught in many courses or videos, but you've seen many comments from the community that they say their companies won't fund user testing or they don't budget for persona creation or something that their bosses expect them to drive, dive straight into something like visual design or designing human factors-y stuff. Um so how how does the process actually look like for some of the human factors professionals out there? Uh, so Blake, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this over to you.
1: So you guys can't see my face, but Nick can probably tell. Like I'm pretty confused uh, because I actually thought this question was more focused on uh, so the 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 big headline, right? So how much of the process do you actually get to do UX human factors? We can talk one. about
0: that too. Let's talk about that. Um, Let's start there.
1: Yep. Yeah, so that's. That's pretty cool. So there, there seems like there's two things going on in this question to me, and the the biggest thing. So how much of the process do you actually get to do? And I think it kind of hits a little bit on it at the end. It depends on where you start. There it is. Uh, what K yeah, I know every time? What it, the the thing that I I hear when I'm like mentoring students is they'll often ask me like, what does the real world process look like compared to what I'm learning in this course? And this the same thing that I would kind of tell anybody is what I tell them is basically in, in courses and even in grad school, I feel the very same way. You're basically learning the framework and the set of tools that you can pull out and use depending on the problem you're facing. And so that's, that's really what's going on. So sometimes, yeah, you get the best job ever and you get to end to end run all of the process that you know how to do and that you love and that comes up with good outcomes, all that kind of great stuff. Um, but often you don't because you're you're either you're starting with a product that already exists so you're you're kind of starting in a different place so you may be doing you know steps out of order or you may not have based off of time and budget enough enough resources to actually run run a full usability test do do a lot of user or customer interviews. You may only have time to do a quick and dirty, you know, heuristic evaluation, send out a survey, if that, and then talk to your internal team and then try and make some good decisions based off of that. Um, And so that's, that's kind of the crux of it is it. I just like to stress to people that I mentor or, anybody that asked me about like a human factors or UX process is the stuff you learn is all good and valuable, but I I'm a big proponent of the fact you're going to figure out what works best for you, what products make the most sense to create. And then you're also going to be tailoring it depending on the problem you're trying to solve. Yes. But no, 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 All, all that's correct. Yeah. I like it. Um,
0: Like here, here's the thing is that in, Most jobs, I'll I'll be frank here. Most jobs, uh, you won't get to do the end-to-end process. Um, The interesting bit is that you sometimes have to push your way in to do the things that you were trained to do. You should always keep in mind that your role as a human factors practitioner is to advocate for the user. And so you sometimes have to make compromises... Uh, In in certain settings that would uh, maybe not be the optimal solution for the user. Um, Or you might have to sometimes do work that doesn't benefit the user at all. Like create a presentation um, for stakeholders. Uh, That's part of the job. You have to do that. Uh, Now, there are certain strategies that you can employ when you do have to do those things to help bring it back to the uh the end user right so if you do have to create a brief for stakeholders make sure you're including why you're presenting that thing well you know whatever the brief is whether or not it's testing results or um explaining your job or explaining your role on the project or whatever it is make sure you indicate that you're doing this for the user's benefit right so so again like it's one of those things where not everything that you do directly impacts the user not always going to do user research. You're not always going to do um, an A-B study on something that's going to inform what the user's doing. In fact, you might get stuck with some busy work. Like, I don't know. um, Like, producing Word files or something. You know, like, but there's always something you can do. And so I guess my, my suggestion is to always look and encourage yourself to try to do everything that benefits the user that you can. Um, You should be able to touch the user in some way uh, through the actions that you do in your everyday tasking. Um, And I guess it's... So to answer the question, that's a long-winded way to say uh, I do some of the process. It's not always there, but always keep the purpose your purpose in mind which is to benefit the user right so always try to keep that in mind and, and again continuous improvement just try to see where you can improve the process where you can provide input that would ultimately
1: um help that user because you advocated for them absolutely nick and uh so i do want to come to this like second part of this question yeah the, the second part that i see right so we've got this thing about, like, I, I learn all this stuff in courses, but I don't really know how it's applied or how much of it is. That makes sense to me. But the, the second part here that I think is really the crux of what's going on is, so I, I'll read it again. So I've seen many comments from the community that say that there are companies that won't fund user testing or that they don't get a budget for persona creation or saying that their bosses expect them just to dive straight into visual design. Now, Nick, you've probably heard me harp on this a bunch of times on the podcast, no. same with all of our other listeners. That is indicative to me that there is not a, not there's not really a correct understanding of what a human factors or even a like a UX person can and should be doing. if you're trying just to get straight to interface design or straight to product design. Um, in which it is all the more important to do what Nick had said and basically be the evangelist for human factors or ux in the company and you'll be you would basically be the one defining more of how the process should work why it's necessary to do user testing or to create personas um, before creating a design and the impact that it can have in which you're you're probably going to focus more time on briefing stakeholders than you are actually doing you know boots on the ground work of creating or doing research um so that's that's two kind of takeaways here, at least that like the process changes depending on the problem you're solving. And sometimes you definitely won't get to do an end- to end process. Um, but also you have to continually basically be the the advocate for not just the user but for your profession as well in companies that maybe don't understand or don't apply the process that you know how to do.
0: right. Yeah, I'll just add to that. Um, you know if if saying the same thing over and over and over again, is not something that you're into human factors and ux is not your like it's not your area you have to say the same thing over and over and over again and in fact i do that in my personal life too my wife is drives her nuts because (laughs) i say the same thing over and over and over again because i'm used to it she's in the other room she probably hear me right now i say the same thing over and over and over again and it drives her nuts (laughs) and we do it on the (laughs) show too and it's like it's just a product of the environment in which we work we have to do it because people don't listen the first time, and so we have to just keep hitting it hard, evangelizing.
1: Just got to hammer it in. Exactly.
0: All right. We got one more here. Uh, I know this is a little bit shorter of a show, but we actually, we're running pretty long. We're at like 38 minutes. Uh, all right. So this last one here, this one is posted by Grill Bears on the UX subreddit. Um, this is called Project Managing Design of Cross-Team Project. Any tips, exercises, rituals? They go on to write, I'm a senior. I'm not going to read this whole thing. It's pretty lengthy, uh, but I will truncate here in places. I'm a senior designer who has been tasked with project managing the cross-team design work for a new platform feature. Put differently, this means that my manager is hoping that I'll be able to get a small crew of designers to align the user journey of this feature and the different tools and contexts it appears in. Basically, we know that useless. Uh, oh, sorry. Basically, we know that unless Freudian slip. Basically, we know that unless we're working together, the resulting experience will be disjointed. But it it is too many touch points for just one team to solve. I'm curious if any of you had to do similar work, and if there's been any activities, methods, rituals that you have found helpful. I'm all ears.
1: Usually, I just do my Hail Marys in the mirror before I go to work. There you go. That just, that always works. No, no. I, this, so this sounds really hard. And if you're, so it's, it's awesome that you obviously have enough, like self-awareness, maybe not the right word, but product awareness too, that, 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 you know, everybody needs to be together to be able to figure out this specific journey for this product, uh, or else it's going to feel disjointed as you guys move forward. Um, and. But if you're if you're thinking that there's too many touch points for the team to solve, the best thing I could I would say to do is one try and see if you can even cut it into smaller, you know, chunks for people to be dealing with, um, and if not, hire more designers to get more people on those different projects so that you're you have enough like bodies to be hitting each one of those things so you're culminating the same feature and it's not like a disjointed experience. The other thing I would say is if you really feel that way and you are like uh you're not necessarily the project manager but you're managing the design team, I would go to your PM and say like this is the this is what I'm seeing. What ha- cuz I I'm telling you if you have a PM above you that's managing the product in general, they have a strategy or a solution they've had to use for this before and whether it worked or not, that's kind of up in the air cuz I mean you you're still you're working for the product team trying to create a new feature. Um, but so I would use the experience that you already have in house. That's above your pay grade basically to help guide you here too. Now, Nick, you, you have a lot more like managerial experience than I do. Um, so what do you have here? What rituals do you do in the morning? Uh,
0: well, I usually scream into my pillow, uh, after work. Uh, no, but seriously. Okay. So let's, let's talk about this. So I'm, uh, to remind everyone, I just got certified as a Scrum Master, so my mind is in a different place here than perhaps, you know, where I was a couple months ago. But to remind everyone, uh, or I guess to, to inform everyone, um, the way I think about this, there are several different frameworks. I'll talk about it from the Safe Agile framework, but there are different frameworks that you can use to help compartmentalize this task and to help provide incremental value. Um it sounds like uh, this feature that you're doing is too big to solve in one go. Are there is is there a way that you can break it down into smaller pieces that you can deliver as a solid product and say this piece is done? Um, and you know, you, go look at Safe Agile. Um, it's too much for me to recite here, but the 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 gist is that you want to put together this team in a way that is going to be able to develop bits and pieces that add up to the greater sum of its parts and deliver these in chunks. Um, and I understand that that's not often reality and that doing that could be difficult. But yes, understand what Blake said is also correct. Leverage the experience that others have um, and and maybe look at different frameworks of how to break up this Feature that you're talking about here into smaller problems um, that you can perhaps task people with, right? So their whole concern here seems like that they need to work together or else it will be disjointed. Um, And maybe there's another way to break it down that it won't be disjointed. Like maybe somebody works on this part of it and somebody else works on this other part of it. Maybe you all come together to talk about how one depends on the other one and establish the dependencies between the parts that talk to each other um, and just go in, trust your team, know that if they have this information, they can do what they need to design. Um, so I guess, here it goes. It depends, but look into different ways of doing this. I think there's, you know, there's a bunch of different methodologies for software development that can really help out here if you modify them towards your purpose. Um, so that's, yeah, I guess it's not very helpful for me to say go look it up, but, um, you know, break it down into smaller manageable chunks. I think that's that's kind of what I'm talking about here.
1: Yeah, I mean, if it's too big, that sounds like it has to be done. And again, I think if, it, if it's too big and your like, team of designers can't handle it, then you may even need a bigger design team um depending on the timeline all that kind of good stuff right the, the other thing that i'm kind of noticing here that might it, i don't know this can go either way but i think it would be helpful is it's great that you guys have a good design culture or that's what it seems like anyway because you're a senior designer leading the rest of the designers you may be better off working at it, working this problem as a cross-functional team like thinking about the, like the the vertical slice method um, for tackling this problem so not just worrying about the presentation or the ui stuff but like what what's happening from the data perspective and the background perspective bringing your development team into it because you, you never know other people from different teams may have insights into like how it would make more sense to split up a feature uh across across the workload if they understand the larger context of what's going on so i think that could be another way to go but ultimately i I think the best advice is what Nick has said. I mean, it, it sounds like you just have to break it down further into more manageable chunks to deliver, um, even if that means like pushing the timeline a little bit longer or you know cutting losses for other other designs that you're you're currently working on. Yeah, i I agree. I agree. I don't really have much else to say to this one.
0: Um, it's a difficult situation, but again, depending on the timeline, depending on the workload. Depending on what needs to get done, you might need to push back at management and say this cannot be done. I'm a manager myself in this role, and it can't be done. How can we negotiate? How what? What's the like MVP, if you will, minimum viable product? How how can we negotiate that, or you know, extend the timeline to help deliver bits and pieces of functioning um, uh, pieces of the product, I guess.
1: Yeah, like how do I deliver pieces of code that can either be, you know, committed or tested or whatever? What can I, what can the timeline do to flex? All right, Blake, anything else? I, that's it, man. I really enjoyed the the mailbag questions we had this week. Me
0: too. All right, that's it for today, everyone. Let us know what you guys think of this mailbag format. If we get enough of you writing in, uh, we'll have more of these. Uh, if you want to join the discussion on our Slack, write into Noah. Let him know what it's uh, what he can do to help his real estate co-op partnership. Uh, you know, ch- check it out there. Go go to ch- go to our Slack. Uh, you can also follow us at any of our uh, social channels at H Factors Podcast, and always reach us at show at humanfactorscast.com. If you like what you hear, you want to support the show, you can do that in a variety of different ways. Uh, you can support us on Patreon. You can go to our merch store and buy stuff there. Um, you can donate to our beer fund, or if you don't want to give us money, you can just simply leave us a review and let other people know about the show. That's an easy way to help uh, help the show out. Uh, and, of course, you can always reach us at our home on the web, humanfactorscast.com. Mr. Blake Arnstorf, thank you for hanging out with me on this Thursday night. Where can our listeners go and find you if they want to talk about drones that help with real estate agents?
1: If you guys are looking for helping drones real estate agents, you can always find me in the Slack at, at Blake. Uh, but you can also find me across social media at Don't Panic U.S. We didn't even talk about drones.
0: As for me, I've been your host, Nick Rome. You can find me across social media at Nick underscore Rome. Thanks again for tuning in to Human Factors Cast. Be sure to check out, be on the lookout for our interviews with the HFES candidates. Until next time, it
1: depends. It depends.